Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Face of Love, Dom Hemingway, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Under the Skin, and more. On Tuesday, May 20th at the E-Bar, author Karen Houle launches her new book, Responsibility, Complexity, and Abortion. On Thursday, May 22nd, the E-Bar presents the Femme Rebelle Burlesque Review. And on Friday, May 23rd at the E-Bar, the Eden Mills Writers Festival presents Alison Waring's acclaimed one-woman show, Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter, Growing Up with a Gay Dad. The Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Creative Control with Beach Comic. Stephen Lamke is a very talented songwriter, singer, and guitar player who often performs under the name Baby Eagle. A founding member of Constantine's, Lamke was raised in Cambridge, Ontario, and currently lives in Toronto, where he manages the You've Changed record label, which has released works by the likes of, well, Baby Eagle, Attack in Black, Daniel Romano, Daniel Fred and Julie, Shotgun Jimmy, Marine Dreams, The Weather Station, Apollo Ghosts, and more. They'll also be handling the reissue of the Constantine's album, Shine a Light, at least in Canada. Sub-pop worldwide, Canada, uh, it's You've Changed, and that's happening on June 10th. You've Changed is celebrating its fifth anniversary with a special roster-oriented shows at Toronto's Horseshoe on May 22nd and Ottawa's St. Albans Church on May 23rd. And uh, Steve and I connected at his place in Toronto. He shares with Sherry Boyle, his partner. And uh, Steve and I just went through... You know what? We didn't actually delve too deeply into our memory, our mutual kind of memory banks in terms of like things. He and I basically learned how to play music together. Uh, I mean, among other people, but we would play in bands. Uh, he and Dallas and I, Dallas Worley of Constantine's and I, uh, I think our first formative bands were together. Uh, one of them was Captain Copilot. And, you know, at the, at the end of our conversation, which you're about to hear, Steve said, you know, we didn't really talk about Captain Copilot. And I was like, yeah, I've been trying to get away from talking about me. Of course, <laughs> I said that in the last episode. The very next episode, it was completely relevant to have some conversation about myself. And anyway, we didn't really get into that stuff, which is regrettable. Hopefully some other time. But 
I think a really fascinating interview about record labels and, and his record label in particular and why it's fifth anniversary is uh, is relevant and um, and his own history I suppose I guess that's what it ended up being mostly about his own history and uh, I think it's a great conversation you're going to hear a song by Marine Dreams a brand new song at the end of the interview and there's some news in here too about the Constantines and you've changed their future and uh, some information about their surprise guest at their Toronto show so sit back enjoy myself and Stephen Lamke on Creative Control The Eden Mills Writers' Festival and The Bookshelf are pleased to present Alison Wearing's award-winning one-woman show, Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter, Growing Up with a Gay Dad. This is happening at the E-Bar in Guelph on Friday, May 23rd. Based on her best-selling memoir, Wearing's compelling show tells the story of growing up with a gay father in the 1980s. Balancing intimacy, history, and downright hilarity, this is a captivating tale of family life, deliciously imperfect, riotously challenging, and full of life's great lessons and love. This all-ages licensed performance of Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter takes place at the E-Bar, located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, on Friday, May 23rd at 8 p.m. sharp. Tickets are now available at the Bookshelf Bookstore, also located at 41 Quebec Street, or online via ticketbreak.com. And for more information about the show, visit EdenMillsWritersFestival.ca. The E-Bar is not a fully accessible venue. Thank you. Thank you. So we just received notification that your Sherry, Sherry, your lady friend, yeah. is coming down to make us dinner. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what we're having? Yeah, man. We're having a salad, a kale kind of salad. Mm-hmm. And there's, in the oven right now, there's some tofu and chickpea kind of thing baking. Oh, nice. And I don't. I think it's getting served atop the salad. That sounds good. Might be beside. I'm not sure. That sounds good. It smells good. Didn't you smell it? Yeah, no, I smelled it. I smelled it. I I totally smelled it. It does does smell good, and I'm looking forward to eating it. That's that's nice. See, how long have you been in? You've been. You people still think you're in Sackville. I'm in Toronto. You're in Toronto. Yeah, it's like a little secret. Not really. No. Well, I can't. (laughs) I've seen it like in reports recently that Mm. you are still in Sackville. You became kind of associated with being there. I lived in Sackville for three and a bit years. Right. And I've been back here for a year and a half almost. Right. So a while I've been back. And Sherry Boyle is your, yes. and she's like a, she's a visual artist. She's a visual artist. Of some, of great renown. And yeah. so I was thinking about this. You have, as far as I can recall, in the last year you have lived in Italy for a spell? We were in Venice. Sherry was the, the Canadian representative at the 
Venice Biennale last year. So we were in Venice for a couple months almost during the setup and installation of the show. And then we did some traveling after that. Okay. And then the other place you've lived is Detroit. We just got back from Detroit where Sherry was doing a residency for the last six weeks. And I went along and was doing my own thing as well. What were you doing? I was writing songs mostly Mm, and doing the normal sort of administration stuff for You've Changed and for the upcoming Constantine stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you were working. I was working, yeah. So when you're in Italy... But I was not performing (laughs) live. You didn't do a show or something while you're in Detroit? No, I thought about it. And then I am very actively trying to finish writing a new record, new solo record. Um, and And it can be a bit of a distraction, you know, to try and jump back and forth from... Yeah, public to private musical thinking. So I just decided not to. Right. I was when I said that just now. I was sort of trying to make a joke about the border, where they were very adamant that I not perform. Oh, do they do a little check on you, and or did you say? Uh... Yeah, they. Well, no, they didn't even ask a question. It was really frustrating. But then they thought they were catching me on the lie. But I hadn't even had like a chance to tell them that I'm a musician, and you know, like I'm not performing, which I wasn't. Do they Google your name or something? Oh, yeah. And on my passport, like, it would come up that I've had years of work permits, oh, like, from the Constantines touring down there all the time. Oh, okay. So they would see the the P2s and whatnot that I had, which is sort of specifically a musician's work permit. Oh, okay. Like, that would come up on the record. Yeah. Just they... It's frustrating how I sh- well, maybe I shouldn't talk about it too much because I don't want to get in trouble myself, but... It seems to be harder and harder to just get across as a normal human being if you have any history of yeah. working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like it's th- that history of having done it legitimately kind of works against you. As a tourist. As or... a tourist, yeah. Huh. I crossed a couple years ago. I was still living in Sackville at the time, and I was working for uh, uh, basically doing construction renovation stuff, and uh, Sherry had an opening down in... Uh, Massachusetts Mass Mocha is the name of the uh, the gallery and the show is O Canada and it was a big group show of Canadian artists happening in Massachusetts so I was driving down there to meet her and to attend the opening and uh, the border guard asked where I was going I was driving down in my own my own vehicle which is a beautiful 1994 Plymouth Acclaim <laughs> beautiful old car that's not part of the story, really, particularly, but details help. You just me. wanted to I'm brag about picture. your Plymouth Acclaim? Okay, that's nice. <laughs> I didn't realize that was uh, worth uh, bragging about. But... So uh, they, they, the guy asked where I was going, and I said, well, I'm going to North Adams, Massachusetts, which is a very small town that this guy's probably never heard of. I had never heard of it. And he said, why are you going there? And I said, well, uh, my girlfriend's an artist, and there's a she has a show opening and he's like, well, what's the show? And I was like, well, it's called O Canada. It's a show of Canadian artists at a gallery called Mass Mocha in North Adams, Massachusetts. So I'm describing like a place he's never heard of, an event that he can't even comprehend would ever exist or what it would mean to have a group show of Canadian artists in Massachusetts. And uh, so we, were, we weren't off to a good start. Like he, he had no idea what I was talking about. And then he knew that I had been a musician and he said, you're not going down to play music. I'm like, no, like I don't, I don't tour in the States anymore, which is more or less true. I wasn't performing and, uh, but he knew and he'd Googled me and he asked about, he knew about the record label and everything. He's uh-huh. like, so, oh, you're on a record label and you still perform. I'm like, yeah, but it's, 
at this point in my life, it was more of a hobby. And I said, yeah, it's more of a hobby, you know? And he's like, so what do you do for work? I'm like, well, I, I'm, I said I was a carpenter, which was a bit of an exaggeration, but I thought it would simplify things. Uh, I was working as a laborer with carpenters. Yeah. No, that makes that's um, not, it's not a it's a half truth. So I said I was a carpenter, and he said, "Oh, do you work for a company, or do you just work for yourself?" Or no, he said, "Do you work for a company, or do you, do you just work with whoever?" Was how he phrased it. And I said, "No, I work for a company." And he said, "What's the company called?" And I said, "It's called Evergreen Builders Cooperative." And he went, "Cooperative." <laughs> that's not. That's not very nice. It wasn't very nice. I should have just said Evergreen. I shouldn't have said anything. I don't know. That was the truth. I was telling the truth, and I got got in trouble. Do you remember when um, you and I in 1998, and like you, me, and like six or seven other dudes, were crossing the border to go see Fugazi and Shellac and Blonde Redhead? Do you remember mm-hmm. that border crossing? I remember. Uh, was it Steve Clarkson describing Fugazi as a progressive punk band? <laughs> <laughs> he when said the guy asked it was they, a woman okay it was a woman and she said what are you what are y'all going down to see and, <laughs> and he said we're going to see this band fugazi yeah and she said fugazi fugazi what is that <laughs> is that some kind of heavy metal and we were all trying not to laugh in the back and steve to his credit spent the next like three minutes being like well, no, they're not quite heavy metal. They're kind of post-punk. And what that means is, and then he was trying to have this generic explanation, and I thought it was hilarious. And our friend Corey, who was in the van, could not handle it. And as after we finally made it through, because it was 98, and we didn't have to, we didn't get pulled over or anything. Yeah, yeah, we just, yeah, yeah. she's like, Fugazi, heavy metal. Like, he could not handle that she, it's like, is that some kind of heavy metal? Like, she hadn't, you were talking about comprehension. Yeah. I sometimes think they're playing dumb. I think they know everything. They just... Have... You, th- you think she was a Fugazi fan? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean like... Uh, she added, this is not a Fugazi t-shirt yeah. or anything uniform. <laughs> I think maybe, okay, in her case... But I do think they ask kind of like deliberately naive questions to see if they can catch you in absolutely, a... Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. This recent crossing, he asked no questions and then treated me as if I was lying to him. Yeah. That's, that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So you are. So you mentioned you've changed, and it's a mm-hmm. hobby. You're celebrating five years of this hobby. Well, I refer to performing music as a hobby. Oh, okay. Uh, to the border guard, in the sense of not earning money from it very often. Right. Yeah. When? Okay. Is that a hard thing to have to explain to someone? For you. Uh, that it's a hobby. Like, it's well, a, I don't know what I if I understand what you mean by hard. Is it a hobby by choice? Uh, well, I don't know. Like, I mean, you do things, and sometimes it is nice if you get paid for them. But you, you do them regardless. Mm. Is that what you mean? I mean that... It's not hard for me to describe it as a hobby to a border guard. Well, when you when Constantine's were going... Well, okay, were Constantine's a hobby? No, and I don't... Like, I don't in my... Act, like, in my in my heart think of what i do now is a hobby in okay. the sense of like like a like a like a thing i do after my desk job or whatever right you know what i mean you've avoided um, desk work um well i'd created my own desk work for some reason <laughs> <laughs> right behind the scenes label management isn't yeah. as glamorous as people might think yeah it's not glamorous 
Well, it's glamorous. All right, let's talk about you've changed. I, okay. I think that the semantic discussion about hobby is going back to your border story. It's, it's not- one of those weird things, like also like when you do what any of us do, we work in culture or whatever, like mm-hmm. the idea of like retirement. Like what is that actually going to ever mean for any of us? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't think about retirement or whatever. It's just I'm trying to compare the use of the word hobby to like another word, you know? And you're also comparing our existence and our choices with probably our parents who sure, yeah. reached a point where they could retire. Yeah. And that meant they just stopped the thing they were doing. Yeah. And you're, I mean, your dad did stuff out of love. Uh, what, what, I forget, what did your mom do? Was she a teacher? She was a teacher uh, of blind kids that were in normal classrooms, like sort of integrated into normal school classrooms. Right. And your dad... Mostly. And your dad was in, uh, I mean, he was, a, he was a race car driver at one point, wasn't he? He was a race car driver, and, and it was his hobby, quote-unquote, you know. Um, but he took it seriously, and he loved it. It was a, a passion, and a, uh, it occupied him. But he was professionally, a, he was a machinist, and he rebuilt engines. And, yeah. And he still does, you know. Uh, he's retired. He closed the shop and sort of drastically scale back the business but he does still do work for people like on a contract basis or something yeah he he takes on stuff that he doesn't oh, have thank you. uh well, you're welcome. thank you thanks sherry My pleasure. where where people have the time to wait for things like people that are rebuilding old cars or restoring old cars or tractors and stuff like that um so he doesn't do anything that's on a timeline you probably didn't see it at the time because who among us really looks at their parents as any kind of particular role model? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm pres- being presumptuous here. Did you see your your father's path or your mother's path as something to emulate, or did you appreciate that that chasing down of passion as opposed to just taking some kind of normal job? I guess probably subconsciously. So no, not consciously. I yeah. didn't. But I would say one of like the most profound interactions I had, I've ever had in my life with my dad was when he was, my, my parents are actually quite old. They had both me and my brother like later mm-hmm. than a lot of people did. Um, so my dad was thinking of like sort of closing the business or whatever, like it was on the horizon. And I, I worked all the time growing up, like for my dad, like, uh, summers and stuff like and even a bit like once I went away to university like I'd come home and work like over Christmas or whatever holidays uh and he mentioned to me at some point like if I was interested in taking over the business like we could kind of train me I'd learned like a certain amount of things but uh not nearly enough to like you know work that job it he he was up. like a, it was his business, but he was hands on, right? He yeah, he he didn't have any employees. It was basically like a one person. Oh, business. okay. Like okay. my mom did the accounting and stuff, and kind hmm. of that classic. The odd time he like a a couple times over the years, he would have one employee that was usually like somebody uh, apprenticing and had asked if they could work there and whatever. So he'd have people sort of short term or for like a year or two at a time, but it was basically just him. And both me and my brother worked there occasionally too. Um, but so this was discussed like openly, like, is this something you want to do? And I was 20, whatever, young, 20, maybe even, uh, and the music thing, like, I think Constantine's were happening and stuff already. And I was like, well, no, like I have this other sort of path, you know, 
And he was like, that's okay. You know, my dad was a farmer. I didn't want to take over the farm. Mm. And it was a very beautiful moment. And and in terms of that, like, role model idea, that's the moment where I am conscious of that, that there was a bit of a role model to, yeah. to doing things sort of differently and whatever, just doing your own thing. Well, I mean, we used to, because we used to practice at your parents' house, and I always, always marveled that, the kind of grace and dignity your dad carried himself with, if that makes any sense. Like he was always really kind and, you know, your mom would say, can you guys (laughs) maybe not play as loud or whatever? But like, yeah, your dad was like this. He always seemed to be this. I I looked forward to talking to your dad more than most of my friend's parents. Sure. He like treated me like with respect and like not like a little kid. And I always admired that about your dad. He's a kind and very inquisitive man that's just it so he probably asked you a lot of questions yeah he did but he, it, it, it seemed very respectful it wasn't like a you know, i was used to being asked questions by adults but it was mostly like it was kind of an inherent scolding sure but he seemed really like what are your plans what are you doing like he just yeah 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 i would also imagine that i mean they're both very tolerant of us our rudimentary musical skills mm-hmm. <laughs> and allowing us to, to play music in the house. And I would imagine that when we were doing that, my dad would go out and mow the lawn or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my mom was maybe, she stayed in the house. <laughs> so that's why she maybe had a, a, oh, lesser, yeah. a lesser opinion of our, of our band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. And it's fair. I said something on a podcast uh, episode recently that I thought your mom preferred my drumming to, Tyler Williams's drumming who was do you have any recollection of this I didn't until I listened to that episode and and when you said that I do remember her comment on that yeah <laughs> she thought and I can't I, for the life of me I couldn't figure out if that was if I should take pride in that or not that someone's mom <laughs> thought I was it's not someone's mom it's mine your mom your mom but her, your mom who was just having to deal with this it was bonkers that they let us do that it was like as often as we did because it's a very small house and uh we were just in the sort of upstairs second floor like we weren't even in the basement no there wasn't really a basement the basement level was the garage so and it dawns it it just dawned on me that your parents had this interesting complex they sold that whole thing they did sell yeah this complex of it was like a townhouses essentially so there were other tenants they were their tenants right yeah so so there are all these people who had to deal with us struggling to learn how to make really loud music all the time. Anyway, it's kind of funny. So um, We were lucky. We were lucky. We were lucky. And I remember distinctly that you and I um, would listen to... We would share music with one another, I think. Certainly wasn't that formal at that point. But we would get into record labels sure. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like sure. you, I remember you, more than me... Because you saw Superchunk somewhere kind of early and weird, right? Opening for... I saw Superchunk open for Belly at uh, the warehouse or RPM or one of those. I forget what it was called the at same. the time. I think it was yeah. the warehouse, yeah. Yeah, and... And I I, I had seen Superchunk play on Conan O'Brien. Oh. And they... Uh, for Foolish, and they, they performed the first part. Right. And I thought it was awesome. Hmm. So I... We used to go up to, uh, to Encore Records in Kitchener and buy CDs together yep and i picked up foolish on one of those trips yeah and then you gave it to me and i was like holy shit this yeah. is great yeah yeah and then from that because super chunk and members of super chunk mac and laura in particular started merge mm-hmm. did you did that have an impact on you i remember like th- 
like you you become aware of other things because they were I and I guess still to this day like they sort of balance that where they're a regional label in some ways and they're like mm. obviously one of the biggest record labels in the world in other ways that are releasing worldwide hits you know certainly at the time that we were first immersing ourselves in them they were more of a regional sure yeah and i still think like they still put out north carolina bands mm-hmm. you know uh with some uh diligence as, as you know as sub pop sort of walks a similar line where like they do very ma- massive records but there also does seem to be an unstated attempt to represent a northwest yeah. scene as well you know yeah. historically so um you hear about a band like Super Chunk and realize those people are running the label, and then I don't know. You hear about other bands through that that they're putting out or are in the same area. Um, I don't know if you asked me a question or not. If no, I, no, if I was I'm, just making conversation yeah. about labels in general because I think that <laughs> what we discovered at the time we were getting into buying records, those labels, those logos meant something. Sure, for yeah, a long yeah, yeah. time, like you kind of could trust. A sub pop, emerge, touch and go, a Discord for us, I know was pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for and and for me, eventually like Murder Records, like just certain labels, I would be like, yeah, I don't know this band, but I trust the label. And I don't know if you feel like that bond with a label. I feel like it's coming back, but for a long time, there was this anti-label feeling, particularly sure. major major labels. Sure. Um, but did that kind of curatorial aspect of a label mean something to you uh, at that point? Or were you just like, this is a coincidence that all these great bands are being put out on this label? I, I mean, I think at that point, yeah, I had some sense of it, especially around like Discord or whatever. Um, to, to speak about you've changed, I don't think that was really like in my mind or like the thinking behind it particularly to to emulate a a brand like that in some ways uh i worked at soundscapes here in toronto a fantastic cd and now record store on college street and um this would be 2002 three four kind of in there Mm -hmm. for a few years and at that time a soundscapes is a very organized store and remains very organized to this day and there's a lot of sections and subsections and stuff and at that point i don't i don't think they do this anymore there was like things were actually sorted by the record label like there was a drake city section and there was a touch and go section and there was a you know sub pop and whatever i forgot drag city and matador at that point yeah sorry those were big for me um and I honestly, like, as an employee of that store, didn't like it. And as a, like, as, as a musician, like, I thought this is like, because people would come in and they would ask, like, even if they knew what they wanted, like, they wanted Nutramilk Hotel or whatever. Yeah. It was like, like, where? Like, they wouldn't necessarily know it was on Merge, for example. So I found it was like a bit of an obstacle in terms of the store. Um, was it the store trying? It, obviously, the store was trying to heighten the consumer's awareness of the fact that these labels existed yeah and i think it was like music lovers enthusiasm for like that sort of that idea that you're describing where like you see you start to see associations between things and you get really excited by it you know so um that i imagine that's why it was like that in the store which is good right i just i 
told the story as if it was a negative, but I've come around to like, no, this is like, it was a sign of something cool. Well, I will say that growing up at some point, I realized that most generic signifiers were kind of bullshit. Like we kind of came of age when underground culture was coming to the mainstream or whatever you want to, I don't know how to put it. I talked about this endlessly on the show, but we did come of age at a point where those signifiers didn't matter as much to us. Um, and yet the labels became this other kind of signifier. So like I was less about, Oh, this music is jazz and this music is hip hop and this mm-hmm, music's country. Sure. It became like, Oh no, this label is curating, uh, a, an experience for us. And, is that problematic? Is that weird? No, I trust the label. I mean, occasionally you'd get something that didn't make sense to you. It made sense to them yeah. as a release. Yeah. But you're just like, oh, I, that that's not, a good, that's not a good record. Therefore, I don't necessarily trust the label for, the, uh, for this one. And then you kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of a weird situation mm-hmm. with labels. And I mean, as someone who runs a label... I would say like in terms of you've changed, I've thought about it more after the fact in terms of I have noticed people will check out one of our records or one of our artists because they like the other ones and so realizing that that was occurring to a certain extent I have tried to facilitate it but it wasn't part of like the original like plan I guess not that we had a plan you know when you say facilitate it how like like getting the name out there in and of itself, like the you've changed name. Right. Uh, and I mean, there's a you've changed band camp page where all the artists are there together, you know, like just stuff like that. Having a website, having like a, whatever, all the social media, like the label does do some of that stuff. So I don't mean like, of course everybody else is doing this, but my thinking around that stuff is that, Oh, there is a, a, a name here that, ties some people together and there is a benefit to that right but you're saying that the okay so let's maybe backtrack i'm trying to figure out your original motivation for starting the label um five years ago so what are we it's two thousand that would be 2009 Mm -hmm. you had been on record labels for at that point eight years or something probably you were on three gut in what sure 2001 2002 yeah, and what I was going to come around to saying in terms of you were asking about like my thinking about labels, like when we were growing up listening to music. Yeah. And I don't find like, even thinking about now, I don't find too much of a direct lineage like from that to like why I'm running the label now or whatever. Yeah. But Three Gut is obviously like a direct inspiration and a direct, like the memory of being involved with that is is very important to like how I think about You've Changed Records. Is it wrong for me to presume you're talking about the community aspect? Yeah, and the scale of it and the um, sort of working with musicians that work with each other, you know, that whole, which I guess is what you mean by community. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so five years ago, uh, well, sorry, where was I going? So you were on 3Gut, then you were on Sub Pop, and Mm -hmm. you've, I think you've dabbled with outside music for your own stuff, right? Outside put out, yeah, the first two Baby Eagle records. Right. Yeah. So you had enough of a interaction and you kind of knew administratively how these labels worked a little bit, I guess? A little bit. And, I mean, I lived at 9 St. Patrick 
uh, at the same time as Lisa did and was running through Get Out of There. So I saw some of that firsthand. Right. You know, very directly. Um, for myself, I had done two records with Outside and basically everybody that I had worked with there and had sort of signed me, quote unquote, didn't work at Outside anymore. Oh, I see. So uh, there was a bit of a big question mark in my mind like if I make if and when I make another record like how would it come out you know was an unanswered question I never asked outside because by the time I did make a record you've changed was up and running right it just made sense you know okay so the idea of doing something on your own wasn't necessary it wasn't out of necessity per se or was it it was just out of enthusiasm I mean the, the story is it was after sappy fest in 2008 and baby eagle and attack and black had both played and we were doing a few shows sort of i think probably before but definitely we did a couple shows after and on the way home and sometime after that after that festival which was incredibly fun and amazing and uh sappy fest by that time it was sappy fest three had really started to sort of form into something larger than they had probably imagined you know and there was a real energy and everyone would just left feeling magical you know it was the best the possibility of everything yeah um so at some point on that drive home uh the idea came up and it was more like attack and black was a very prolific band um and were very young and very enthusiastic and all those people are still very prolific and still writing tons of songs more songs than the people that work with them really know what to do with right. you know um and so there was a bit of uh obstacles in their to their enthusiasm just the label their label was just like we don't know like it's too much you know <laughs> like you know they didn't really want they wanted to sort of focus on a big record and then like you know a year or two later do another big record where they were more they were just making more music than that well and then attack and black as far as i can recall to give the label some credit uh, not only prolific, but ever-changing. They seem to Absolutely. be stylistically just... Yeah. It was hard to even probably, as a label, thinking about, how are we going to... What's the story? What are we yeah. gonna, how are we going to market this? Like, it's completely different almost every yeah. time. Absolutely. Uh, and when I tell this story, I am making every effort to not criticize their label. Sure. Because they're not... They don't deserve any criticism. You know, it was just this sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, it was just like, well, why don't you guys do it yourself like start something you can put this stuff out like in your own way and then you know and still work with dine alone and stuff which is kind of what happened and um and they were like that's yeah and i was like i you know i'd work with you on that that sounds great you know so that was just really it was like a simple kind of conversation and kind of a solution to um not a problem but like a situation you know right and and so of the Attack and Black folks, uh, for some reason, it was you and Daniel Romano of that band who yes. really were the spearheading this label. Yeah, and Ian was was sort of on paper more involved. You know, like he was he had expressed a lot of enthusiasm. Um, Dan is a very like if he has an idea, Dan will do it immediately. You know, he's he has that mentality. Uh, so it was just sort of, we started doing stuff and, um, it ended up being me and Dan mostly, 
Okay. And Jesse Stein was involved at the beginning too. Right. Of the, sort of, of the Luyas. Of the Luyas. Um, and, and helped out significantly sort of in the first, in the sort of getting it going kind of phase and mm. then decided to step away. Right. Okay. So the idea was to release, but then Attack and Black folded essentially. Yeah. But there was a bit of time there. I mean, the, the first release was going to be the Attack and Black and Baby Eagle split kind of a classic idea you know like yeah, we yeah start this label together let's do a split single was the idea this is the single where you guys did each other's songs we did each other's songs so yeah. like the idea was like oh like let's record one of each other's songs and we'll put out a seven inch right classic idea for a new label probably a bad idea usually you know a seven inch is a very tough way to start anything <laughs> sure but it uh, it didn't turn out to be a seven inch because like i was trying to explain the enthusiasm and the way those guys worked um I would get a call from Dan, like, hey, we recorded two of your songs, so you should do two of ours. And then, like, a week later, well, we recorded four, and you should do four. And, like, they, there's even one that didn't make the cut. They actually recorded five of my songs at one point. <laughs> so they were just, that's how it worked, you know? It was just, so it grew into be a split LP, basically. Uh, but, yeah, it, they just, they get an idea and they go for it, you know? So, okay, and I'm not trying to read too much into what you're saying. By the way, this food is delicious. Thanks, Sherry. It turned, nice. it turned out really great. It's really wonderful. So good. Yeah. I don't mean to read too much into what you were saying, but you made several references to the idea of Dan gets an idea, he does something. And attacking black folks all have this seemingly endless well of enthusiasm. Was your job <laughs> trying to contain this and not make things go nuts? You know, like, mm. hey, 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 we can't do all of these ideas, Dan. Like we've got this label, but we got to do things. And was that? Are you the reason guy in the passion reason uh, dynamic? Sort of, but it, like, there's never been an idea that Dan has come to me with that we haven't done. I don't think you know. Like, I'm not. I the label is run fairly cautiously, and I think that's why we have lasted and will you know continue. Like, we don't take on more projects and we can legitimately do because we did that at first and and it was very like you know i was pouring money into the label that i didn't really have you know so um at the after doing like you know three or four records within a couple months at one point i was like i don't want to do that again like that wasn't fun and wasn't good for anybody involved yeah didn't make sense so at this point like stuff's planned out a little bit more you know in terms of let's only do a few records a year and try and do them right um but so i guess in that sense i'm reasonable <laughs> well I <laughs> maybe also... in a way that daniel isn't but uh i didn't put the brakes on anything that's for sure okay no i just was curious if that's because you don't want to be the heavy in that situation and i, and I also no, know and it wasn't I, and like the daniel fred julie record which was the third one like is that only the third one? It was Man, time record. is just flying by. What what catalog number are you at right now? Uh, 17, 18, oh, wow. in there. So it's been a relative, so that's in five years. Yeah. Relatively. And there's no four. There's no. There's no number four. Why? Number four was going to be a repress of Shotgun Jimmy's first album, The Onlys, yeah. which had come out on a label called DeLorean in uh, Halifax. Yeah. Rights issues or something? No, no. Oh. DeLorean was uh, 
Matt Charlton, who does Pitch and Row. Oh, okay. Now, so we still work very closely with Matt. So there's no, there was no, not that. It was just there wasn't money at the time, it turned out, to do it. And then Jimmy just decided it wasn't the time. And it just kind of hasn't been the time ever. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since if we ever press it, it'll be number four, I guess. Oh, so there's just a blank. There's just there's nothing as number four. Huh. And the we take care of the digital now, we, but and the digital is YC04, but nobody needs to know about that because it's not interesting. Well, you just said it, so now yeah. it's out there. But it's kind of I've just noticed that Constellation never did a 100. Oh yeah. As far as I can tell, unless I miss something, it goes 99, 101. Hmm. And I wonder if it was for some sort of superstitious. What reason. are they at? Uh, maybe 106 or something. Uh, I wonder, they might have assigned it to something that got postponed or... Yeah. Well, you're telling a story that sounds... Yeah. About, about the same, yeah. Um, okay, and then at some point, uh, Dan seems to have stepped back a little bit from the basic administration of the... Yeah, from most things. Most things. Well, it involved, yeah. He's, he's still making records for people on the he's label. He's making records, yeah, absolutely. And he's done, he does design stuff and he does um, stuff, but he's... It's it's day to day. It's me for sure. Okay, and how are you finding that? Doing uh, this it's work. Good. Some some of it's great. And some <laughs> of it's you know it's work. What? Uh, it's, no, it's. I mean, it's awesome. It's really, it's really rewarding to help people uh, put out music and the people we work with. Like it's it's awesome. There's a for the for the, you've got these you've changed parties coming up. Yeah, and there's a zine. Yep, which Colin Medley's put together. Yeah. Let the charge on. So there's a zine that you can get at the shows, and then maybe if there's leftover copies, people can see it somehow? Yeah. We just made a few. It's like a little sort of souvenir. Um, And that, okay, that's kind of a good example of how I think about things with the label. I was thinking more and more. we We only did a couple records last year, so there was a bit of like hole in the... There was there was time to think about doing other things, and at one point I realized I like books just as much as I like records, you know. Mm-hmm. And it would be fun to sort of do a book project. And Colin is a fantastic young photographer and has done videos for some of us uh, and has done layouts for some of the records at this point even. Uh, so he's done lots of stuff. He's become more and more involved. Uh, and I said, hey, Colin, if you ever want to do like a project or something, like I, you know, I'd love <clears> to talk to you about trying to make that happen. You yeah. know, it's just it's like he's someone who I believe in as a person and as like an artist. So and a cultural worker as a cultural worker. <laughs> yeah. Like the same way I believe in, you know, Tamara or Ian or 
whomever. Um, and so it was sort of, he was like, why don't we do something around the anniversary and put together like a zine or a book kind of thing, which is mostly based around his photographs. But then he decided, well, we need other stuff in there. So there's a bit of like archival stuff yeah, as well. Um, so it's just, a, it was a sort of first attempt at a sort of book project or oh, okay. zine project. Yeah. Okay. So this may open the floodgates for... Not yeah. floodgates, but <laughs> look out. Look out there, Noah. There's, there's a chance that uh, get them things in the ark. The floodgates are open. Well, you. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you've got a book in you, or some kind of poetic. Uh, when I when I I remember you gave me, and I've told you this story a few times now, but you gave me your record Dog Weather when mm-hmm. we were in Dawson City. In Dawson, and I at was the last Constantine show at the last one. Yeah. Well, you gave it to me well before the final. I don't know when you gave it to me, but whatever. You gave it to me, and I just had it in my pocket, and I was emceeing part of the festival or something. Anyway, I just was backstage reading the lyrics, and I was just really impressed by them as they came off the page. Like I hadn't heard the record yet, Uh, but as soon as I got home or back to the hotel, I put on the record, and I was really blown away by that album. But yeah, there's something, and I don't know how to formulate a question about this necessarily without making you feel self-conscious or embarrassed, but it seems to me that you've got this poetic voice that you could easily translate into a book of poetry, perhaps some... The one thing that really struck me about that record is that there were narratives. It was like a very poetic narrative uh, thread, I thought, running through that record. Have you thought about sitting down and writing a, a book of poetry or a book of... I have, I have thought about writing things definitely and I and I do write things and I write poems and I uh I I just wrote an intro for the Sappy Fest book which just came out mm-hmm. uh and I am putting together a collection of lyrics um which will come out on a small poetry press out of Toronto called Beautiful Outlaw mm. uh hopefully in the next month or two. Oh, okay, great. And, uh, so it's not a project I'm doing myself in terms of doing it under You've Changed or whatever. Um, so I'm really excited to be working with somebody else and not just doing everything myself on this one. Yeah. Um, and using it as sort of a project in which to learn how such things are done. Uh, so it'll be the lyrics, basically the lyrics from Dog Weather and Bone Soldiers and uh, the two duets with with Tams, the two weather station Baby Eagle duets. Not the previous Baby Eagle records? No. Left them off. Why? Uh, don't like most of them. Really? Yeah. I like, there's there's things on them that I, I really like on those records, but I thought that the works from Dog Weather and Bone Soldier hold together better as they would hold together better in a book. And uh, there's more, it's just, it's better writing. It's more sophisticated. It's more dense. Themes yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, I just made the decision. No, that's yeah. fair. I mean, you know yourself better than anyone. <laughs> there's a few lyrics that I, from the earlier records, that I am very proud of and I think are very strong still, but uh, it just didn't feel right. Did you have here, so. did you have difficulty transitioning from being a songwriter in Constantine's who, like, to be fair... Per record, you would have one, two, maybe, two maybe zero <laughs> songs. Uh, no, no you're on everyone. Yeah, I have a song on everyone. So one or two songs 
that was your outlet for a lot of years. And I knew you mm-hmm. growing up. Like we used to, you would write songs. We would write songs mm-hmm. together or whatever. Um, was that difficult for you to not have an outlet and then to go from that situation to spreading your wings as Baby Eagle, so to speak? Sorry, that was awful. But was that a difficult transition to kind of do your own thing? To transition back into doing my own yeah, sorry, yeah. things? I I mean, there was a lot of overlap there, right? It wasn't right. like uh, the first two baby records came out while Constantine's were still very active and Dogweather I believe the release date was the same week that the story about us not coming or not existing anymore maybe came out mm-hmm. it basically was right on top of each other right um, but it was made when the Constantine's was still still going strong and still very very active um, and in a sense I get I gather you think that by the time of Dogweather you had found your or you'd found a voice that you felt better represented you than the one that you employed for the first couple of records. Yeah, I mean, I remember making the first Baby Eagle record with uh, John Sampson and Christine Fellows in Winnipeg, and where I recorded it, and they play on it. And I remember commenting at one point that uh, it, this was the first time in many years that I'd written like a batch of songs, you know, right. rather than just the one or two for the Constantine's records. Um, so I was aware of that as a, as a problem, you know, which I don't think I solved very well on that first record. Yeah. Comparably that those, the, I certainly, if I think back on the first record, I don't feel that as much about the second, but it did seem like the songs were sparse compared to what you ended up doing. Yeah. It was a first attempt and that record first came out as a CDR and if it just existed in in as a CDR record, I'd be totally like happy with that. You know, that's fine. But as like a proper CD that came out and was shrink wrapped and whatever, a thousand of them were pressed or whatever, it doesn't it doesn't stand up really hmm. in terms of the songwriting and stuff. Though there's still songs on that that people would identify most with me, like a few of my songs. Well, you say you wrote a batch of songs, uh, and that was. Oh, that was interesting for you or mm-hmm. potentially difficult or challenging. Was there a kind of an unspoken or spoken rule about how many songs you would contribute to a cons record? Uh, no, no. I think the Constantine's was pretty like open, surprisingly. Surprise, surprisingly? <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> was, I mean, surprising in terms of it would seem like I was only allowed one song per record. But it wasn't a question of like I wasn't allowed more than that. That was just the way it sort of happened. Did you ever bring in like a batch or something closer to like... Yeah, and there was... There's actually two outtakes from Tournament of Hearts that are my songs that we left off for for good reasons, you know. One of them, which was pretty cool, but it didn't really suit. It was sort of more of a punk rock tune kind of along the lines of like National Hummer, one of those kind of like all-out songs. And we didn't feel like including one of those in the record. And the other one was just kind of not a very successful song Hmm. Um, have they resurfaced in your own work or anything no 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 okay um so there was always opportunity there but like it it uh i feel good about my contributions to that band i think like (laughs) you shouldn't you shouldn't feel weird about it i just was curious about it just sounds like you when you knew when John and Christine asked you to make a record or whatever, however that worked, or you decided to make that record, mm-hmm. 
you felt like, oh, I got to come up with a batch of things here. Well, I mean, I think it's a while ago. It was 2005 or 2006 we, that that record was made. Excuse me. Um, and as I remember it, Christine was playing in Montreal where I happened to be hmm. uh, that evening. And and I was like, yeah, hey, I wrote a bunch of songs. And she said, well, you should come make a record or whatever. Like it was, the songs were done or basically done or whatever. Right. It was not like they asked me to come make a record. I think I kind of invited myself. <laughs> basically, Christine kind of opened the door and I jumped in there and t- t- kicked off my boots. <laughs> did you did you not feel encouraged about those songs or your songs uh, as much before that? In terms of like an external force or, or someone outside well, of think, the band? I think that ba- like that batch of songs, like none of them would have made sense as Constantine songs. Right. And... Uh, an early version of Shower of Stones was in the, the the Constantine song Shower of Stones was in the mix of that. Yeah. And then when we recorded, I was like, I'm just going to say that. I think I want to do that one with the band. I don't think the Constantine's had heard the song yet, but right, right, right. I was picturing how it would kind of work. In right. Band. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. You've got a weird, you've got a, you know, your brain is being divided into a couple of different spaces here as a label head. Mm-hmm. Administrative guy yeah. and also a guy eating who, dinner, eating, <laughs> trying to eat dinner and get to your band practice in a timely manner. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's commendable that you've managed to balance all of these things. It's not; it can't be easy. I, uh, I mean, yeah. It's it's sometimes it, sometimes they do distract from each other the different the different hats or the different ways of thinking, but for the most part. I find it very rewarding and, and, uh, they, they, they help stimulate each other. Yeah. Um, I feel like incredibly inspired by, uh, engaging on like a pretty deep level with like when Richard Laviolette sends me a batch of songs and it's like, I'm going to make a record. Like, what do you think of this? And I, I love that. I write like the opportunity to write back and say, I love this. This is awesome. <laughs> like these are, these are fucking great songs Yeah. and anything I can do to help this record happen like um i want to do so like that is i feel like i'm in a privileged position there you know or working with tamara or working with ian or uh paulo ghost or whomever you know or jimmy is there uh i don't know how you can this is sort of an interesting question because as well as supporting your friends i get the impression you're supporting art that you think needs to be out there is there a kind of underlying story statement or aesthetic to you've changed that is kind of meant to propel and highlight particularly great music is that something you think about because i know it must be difficult most of the records you put out are by people you know or have come to know as people and 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 you're in the unfortunate circumstance that a lot of them have a kind of ingeniousness to them you know what i mean i'm sure some of your label roster have sent you things where you're like "Uh oh i don't know about this one um not really no no um so i mean sometimes people send you stuff in an early stage of development yeah and it's like you're like well (laughs) like yeah i think so but it's hard to tell so is there i don't mean to make this sound political because i think that a lot of what you're doing is documenting a community but is there also a sort of sense of like documenting something important well, absolutely. I think like none of us, and this goes for you, like we do the things we do because 
we think there's an innate value and worth in culture. You know, mm-hmm. you just can't do this stuff uh, year after year for like if you don't believe that. You know, it it has its own worth. Um, so I think like so in that sense, yeah, I do think it's important that. Uh, like a weather station record comes out, you know, or a yeah. Richard Lavillette record comes out. Uh, absolutely. Right. Okay. I mean, I, it's, I don't know that you can distance yourself from it, but there does seem to be a quality control aspect. I guess what I'm getting at is that there seems to be a quality sure. control aspect. You're, you're probably at a point where you're getting stuff sent to you by strangers and you have to kind of, I don't know what your process is with that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of that, quality versus friendship sort of question like they both have to be there yeah you know uh tamara i didn't really know i don't think i'd ever met tamara Mm. and she was recording that record at at daniel's house and daniel called me up and said we should put this record out it's amazing it's like it's fucking awesome and i said well that's i i'd love to hear it but like like what's Tamara like and so like me and Tamara spoke on the phone a few times and I was like it was very clear right away like okay we're on the same page and this can work um and at this point now we are very good friends but it didn't start as a friendship it grew into a friendship so it's but it's it started off and it needed that idea that people have similar expectations and they have similar beliefs in how art's made and they how they want to make art and um there has to be a, a sort of an agreement there, you know? Yeah. Uh, so e- even if I love the music, if I felt like I couldn't do right by it in terms of what I can provide as a label, then I wouldn't take it on. Or if I thought that if I love the music, but I thought the people's expectations for what they were going to achieve were out of line or I wouldn't take it on because I would only breathe sort of resentment and, and, bad feelings you know yeah there's a in in the zine that we alluded to earlier like you mm-hmm. wrote this really nice uh introduction i suppose to it this forward to why you started the label and how it came to be and you use this metaphor about pine trees or or uh, reforestation a field left fallow by a pine stand will grow pine right what which is, is a remarkable statement that i've had which i overheard um and have been meaning to meaning and trying to write about a few times over the years and and i use this occasion to to write about it what does it mean to you or what do you think it means first of all well it was it was spoken by a guy that i was working with who is involved with a land trust in new brunswick which the land trust owns or holds land um just as land in other words to keep it out of the out of the hands of development which in New Brunswick is mostly Irving which is a gas company and forestry company that owns an obscene percentage of the province uh, and is you know an old family business with all the inherent contradictions and probable corruptions that that implies Uh, so he said this and I was he was. I, I was only listening to this conversation. I wasn't a part of it. But at one point, he talked about how you know the forest will regrow. You know, and that if you leave a, a field fallow, you know, untended, 
it'll if if it's beside a pine forest it'll it will become a pine forest right so to me that idea was that you like we become what we associate with you know it's it's kind of the same idea really as you are what you eat you know (laughs) and this is a good meal um so it's important if you think about culture as like a living growing thing that you uh you you foster the growth of the stuff that you think is important and good right and and for me as a person like i'm enriched by working with those particular people you know like i I think Richard Laviolette's one of the greatest songwriters like, in Canada, if not the world, you know? I think so, too. Fantastically inspired by him and, you know, and all of them, Tamara and Ian and Jimmy and everybody. So it was a way to try and discuss that idea of um, of community without using the word community, and, yeah. uh, of, of, of growth and of life and of time. and Yeah. So five years in, the... This is a celebration, obviously, and when you reach a milestone like this, you can't help but be reflective. What do you envision for the future of this label? Well, there's a bunch, like short term, there's a bunch of records. I'm finishing up a record. Tamara has a couple of weather station records on the way. Richard's working on a record. We're launching a Marine Dreams record at the show, a digital-only record. Um, so short term, there's like more stuff from the people involved. Right. Um, at the like the same sort of familiar names, I think Jimmy's even getting close to making another record. So there's a lot of stuff in the next year or two, depending on when people actually finish stuff up. Uh, longer term, I don't know. Like, I love the idea of bringing some like another act in or another artist in. in. I love it, but it has to be the right fit and the right music. So. Um, It'll, it will happen at some point, but I don't know how and when and who and where. And, right, of course. And and the other thing, like we do, we have had people whose music I love and who I love as people ask me over the years about putting out the record and I haven't been able to do it just because of time and stuff. So there is timing involved too, you know, which is total just chance and right. stuff. So I don't know, five years, it would be rad to have somebody helping me with this stuff, you know, and be rad to have more people and... Hopefully the people we're working with now are all still making records. So probably be in five years, there'll probably be another 15 or 16 Marine Dreams records. <laughs> Based on the pace he's going. Yeah. He's going at. Yeah. So I don't know. It's really hard to tell. It's hard to say. It's got to be like a living, breathing thing. At the, weirdly, around this time, this fifth anniversary, you're reissuing a Constantine's album. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Which, that's interesting for a label to get to a point where they're entering reissue territory. Obviously, it makes sense. Yeah, it's a particular circumstance, obviously, what with me having been in the Constantines. Um, I forget how the idea first came up to do any kind of reissue. Uh I know when we were doing the Proud Mothers tours and stuff, me and Will talked about it a couple times because people people ask us, all of us, like, hey, Shine a Light, do you have any Shine a Light left? And it's like, no, dude, it's been out of print for years, you know, it was out of print like long before we stopped playing shows. So like, all of us have individually been asked about that in particular, if not like the other ones too, but specifically that one. The other ones are in print? Nope. No, none, just the arts and crafts one is. 
it's, yeah, I need a copy of it. I have to get Kensington Heights on on vinyl. Or can you get it on? You, uh, yeah, there's still a few vinyl, and I think they're repressing some for these shows that we're doing. Hmm. Um, but it had basically never gone out of print yet. Right. Like, I think up until very recently. Like I said, they are repressing some, but I think they might have just ran out. But everything else is out of print. Everything else has been out of print for quite a long time. So, yeah. this, but this record, for whatever reason, has really resonated with people. Yeah, I mean, it's the one that people put on lists and stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of people's favorite. So we, uh, at some point on the Proud Mothers tour, like me and Will were talking about it, and I was like, well, if we ever decide we want to put them out, like I have this thing, like you know, we could do it. It's possible. Yeah. Um, and it was that was that was the extent of it. And then it was last year was the tenth anniversary of the record, and the idea kind of came up to do it, and it was like, well, it's way too late for a tenth anniversary. <laughs> And I didn't. I wasn't the one that suggested doing on Eve Change. I think it was maybe Bry, just sort of from the politics involved. I wouldn't do that, you know. It's becoming more and more clear as Bry talks more, and it. And I didn't really realize it until we were all in Dawson City. But it seems like a lot of stuff in this band seems. It seems to come from him. Like the calls seem to be his. Like it's a. It's a conversation, but he seems to be like, "Hey, we should do a thing." Well, in terms of like a reunion or whatever, he was the one that wanted to stop. Right. And so I think like four years ago when we were playing our last shows, like everyone else was sort of ready to keep going more or less, you know? Yeah. I think everybody was a little burnt out and would have, we could have done with a six months or a year off or something, you know what I mean? From the rate that we had often done stuff. But, uh, so I think, like, in terms of that, like, obviously, if there's one guy that doesn't want to do it, that's all you really need to to stop doing it. Yeah, of course. Know? So, um, And then he was the one that sort of expressed eagerness to to do stuff this year. So, yeah. Okay. And um, But in terms of the reissue, like, the record came out sub-pop in the world, but it had come out in 3-Gut in Canada. And when 3-Gut folded everything was just in the hands directly of the band. So we had our own, like we weren't beholden to anybody in Canada and it made sense to sort of basically keep that, you know, keep that going. We could have, we could have done the reissue and got sub pop to do it in Canada as well. But, um, it just sort of made sense to do it ourselves. There's probably boring business reasons as to why it made more sense for you to take care of it or there, there was like, I mean, yeah, yeah, it just made sense to kind of keep it ourselves rather than give it away, you know? Yeah. Not, not like, I mean, the relationship with Sub Pop is great, so I don't want to make it sound like yeah, yeah. We're, we'd be doing something negative by giving them the record in Canada as well, but it just made sense to, to do it ourselves. And, still. and can you say, I know mostly most of the information's kind of circulating. Is there anything that, in terms of what the reissue is comprised of, is there anything mm-hmm. that you're particularly proud of or... So that you think will surprise people when they get it in their hands? We had a lot. I mean, we had a lot of talks about what it was going to be because the impulse is like, let's put out a crazy deluxe thing with all this extra stuff and blah, 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 blah. You know, demos and live things and, you know, like dirty underwear and all this stuff, you know, <laughs> like, and the more I, we talked about it amongst ourselves, the less that idea appealed to anybody. Um, there's not exactly like outtakes or anything from that record. Like there's not like this huge wealth of material that's waiting to be put out. 
And we also like listening to the record again. And I hadn't listened to it in a number of years. It's like this is a really great record still. And I would rather it come out and be heard as a record and not be prohibitively expensive. Yeah. And have people have the record as it was made. It's still good. Like it's a it's a record. It's yeah. a complete record. It's a complete statement. It is what it is. Rather than have it be this thing that like only people that already like us maybe will ever listen to or padded with like with stuff that kind of waters it all down yeah and then also when we started to go through the archives which was kind of fun there wasn't really too much extra stuff from that era surprisingly there's like earlier tapes like more around the first record and there's a fair amount of stuff from later on like more tournament of hearts era and stuff and like i said there was outtakes from tournament of hearts and there's more decent live recordings from that era and stuff uh, but around Shine a Light, that would make sense to to combine with Shine a Light. There just kind of wasn't anything we were like, this isn't worth charging anybody money for. Yeah, like, yeah. So we have a blog up, and I've been posting some like live things and some posters and stuff like that. And it just, it seems that makes way more sense to me. Uh-huh. If people are interested, there's this thing. It's, I don't know, I can't remember, Constantine's.wordpress or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember The blog, yeah. And they can look at that stuff and they can hear us playing St. U in Cambridge from 2001. They can hear like, I forgot, I've posted a few things. Yeah. And they can see posters from Guelph shows and whatever. Uh, and I would rather that's where that stuff exists rather than in some super deluxe LP. Yeah, totally. totally. So the record, the reissue is the record itself. It's a new cut of the vinyl master because the old one was gone. And it, the new one sounds better. I think it's awesome. We had the original artwork, so we re-photographed it, which was Dallas's idea, because it was made on these sheets of drywall, so it's really beat up and kind of moldy from being in the basement <sighs> and stuff for, for 11 years. Looks awesome. So it's the same artwork, kind of recreated, re-photographed and recreated. Uh, and then there's a bonus 7-inch, which comes in the record with a few of the B-sides, which is there's a Talking Heads cover and a... Royal City cover and a uh, sort of long studio jam thing called Hotline Operator. Yeah. These, the, which is a different song than the song Hotline Operator. These are things that came out on singles. And on CD singles. Yeah. A couple of them were on the... There was a CD single for Nighttime Anytime and then there was a CD single for Young Lions which I don't think ever actually came out commercially. I um, have the Nighttime one. I don't think yeah, I have. Yeah. The Young Lions one... There was supposed to be a big video push right. around Young Lions, <laughs> which never happened. And so Sub Pop had pressed these things, uh, and then it it kind of all fell apart, and it didn't happen because of some timing issues. Um, but we sold them on merch table and stuff, so they are. Oh, they're out there. Okay. But uh, <clears throat> that's what the Royal City one's from. Okay. So, and then you've got shows uh, that people are aware of coming up. Uh, in the next little while. Have you guys had a practice yet? What kind of question is that? Is that weird? I don't know. No, we haven't. We're we're about to start practicing together, but we've <laughs> all been practicing apart. Sorry, is that an invasive question? No, I don't know if it's invasive. You just you I just wondered if you how I my I don't know what people's expectations are for how much a band practices. Oh, that's you know why. I mean? It is a little invasive then. You think I was imposing upon you? We're just going to go up there and jam. <laughs> no, I just meant that, you know, it's it, it's uh, mid-May and you've got shows coming up 
You've got the big field trip show in June yeah, and yeah. then some and festival then some stuff later this summer. No, I just, all I, I didn't ask to be like, are you guys ready? I <laughs> meant like how I was going to ask, how was it? Like, how was that time? But you haven't had it yet. We haven't had it yet. We're about to enter full time. Constantine's practicing. Pretty soon. Very soon. Yeah. Bri is on tour as we're speaking. Yeah. He'll be back next and week. Yeah. Basically right after the You've Changed shows, I think we go and start practicing a day or two later. I forget the exact... Now, and I don't, because we've kind of already established that in some ways Bri makes certain calls, what do you, for what would you like to see happen beyond what's been announced uh, in terms of shows or there activity? Is a, there is a few more shows that will be announced uh, soon. Like there's going to be, we are playing a few festivals, but we're planning and have booked a few of our own shows as well, which will be later in the fall. Uh-huh. Um, so there's that for happening for sure. Some people I've spoken to recently, like, I wish there was a tour. There's not going to be a tour. There's not going to be like <laughs> a big tour. There's going to be some shows. Nobody wants to go out like how we used to go out, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks at yeah. a time. And I don't think like, I don't know. It's just not, that's not going to happen. But we're going to do some shows. You'll do some shows. Yeah, there's going to be like a handful of shows beyond what's already been announced. And so it's pointless to speculate until you've done some shows how things are going. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? We haven't talked about anything beyond the shows that we're going to play. Okay. You know? And you've got a full-time job doing You've Changed, essentially. Well, I mean, I got, <laughs> everybody's got a full-time job. Doug plays drums full-time in City and Keller, you know? Yeah. Dallas works, you know, and Bry's touring like crazy for his record right now. And stuff. so everybody's like busy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so people can keep their ears to the ground about new stuff, like new shows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, well, um, you've got the two You've Changed shows coming up? The yeah, anniversary shows? Uh, Toronto on Thursday the 22nd and Ottawa on Friday the 23rd. 22nd is where? At the Horseshoe? Horseshoe Tavern. Yeah, and there's just uh, who's it's everyone on the label except uh, that's established, and then there's a secret guest. <laughs> I was eating. I'm sorry. That's okay. Did you hear my question? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> was it really loud when I was eating? No, no, it's okay. fine. I could hear it. It's sounded... uh, the secret guest is Daniel Romano. Is gonna perform, oh nice. Who was not a uh, part of the original announcement? Okay, so but he. Uh, yeah, he and band are going to be there. It's going to be awesome. So that's Thursday, though. But he's not playing, and you're playing in Ottawa at at St. Albans Church, right? Uh, and there's no secrets there. No secrets. No. <laughs> Laying it all out there. All right. Uh, only honesty in Ottawa. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a remarkable achievement. I got to say. I mean, good for you for making a label and and for you know highlighting some music by great people and sticking to your guns. I know it's not. I know from personal experience, it's not always easy. So. Congrats on that. Thank you very much. Is there a song that we can oh, play dang. from the label or yeah, or something yeah. that makes sense that's we new? We should play the new, uh, new Marine Dream song. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be constant great. Constant Love, maybe. Constant Love. Yeah. I don't want a love that isn't constant love. I think I've heard him play that song. Live hit. It was a live hit. It's coming out on a, a l- album called Lemon Tree, which will be available on our Bandcamp page. Uh, and on cassette tape. Starting? Starting on Thursday. Nice scoop. Yeah. 
Well, the single "Constant Love," if I could call it a single, is up now. Oh so. shoot! All right, that's fine. I like exclusive um, business. But on yeah, the if show. you've seen Marine Dreams play in the last couple of years, they've probably played it. It's a it's a favorite. Sometimes he even plays it a couple times a night <laughs> in the same set. Sometimes in a row. I love fact. that. I love Ian. I think he's played it three times in a row at least at one show I've seen. Nice. All right, here it is: Marine Dreams with Constant Love. Steve, uh, you know, it's always nice to talk to you, and thank you for being on this. Thanks for coming over to my house. Thanks for making me dinner. Hey, Sherry made you dinner. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. 
You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.